You are listening to an ounce. Season 3, episode 25, the F4. You are listening to an ounce, a podcast providing inspiration, ideas, and wisdom through engaging stories, commentary, and interviews so you can live life better. I'm Jim Fugate, and it's my privilege to share an ounce with you. In the mid-1980s, I had the privilege of serving in the United States Air Force. My job was firefighter. And one early evening, in what I believe was the fall, I was given an interesting assignment. One of the two powerful engines on a Phantom F-4 jet fighter aircraft had been replaced, and I was going to be doing a safety standby on the aircraft when the engine was started up for the very first time. On the checklist... When an engine has been replaced and before the aircraft is allowed to fly, it's a procedure called a green engine run. The new engine is fired up, run at an idle, carefully monitored. Then the throttles increase just a bit, and the engine is monitored again, and so on, a bit at a time, until the engine's up near full power, and then, if the aircraft has them, the afterburners are kicked in. Preferably... A green engine run is done by strapping the new engine down on a massive, customized, and specially reinforced bench located in a secluded concrete building before it is installed in the aircraft. This is done so that if there is a failure, the bits and pieces that fly off the engine as it tears itself apart are contained inside the building. The aircraft is not put at risk, and the people are safely tucked behind blast-proof glass. If they don't have the correct specialized bench, they are forced to install the engine directly in the aircraft. Then they cross their fingers, tie the plane down to the ground with heavy straps and chains, and away they go. To increase safety, they have some lowly airman, a firefighter, stand by near the aircraft with his silver gear and fire hood on and firefighting hose in his hand to put out the fire if the engine fails or explodes and save the rest of the plane. My job was to be that airman standing by in silver fire gear, holding a hose line, all ready to put out the fire, unless in the rare instance something occurred where the engine exploded and the explosion took me out. But just to be safe, I was there. Circumstances had me positioned about 20 to 40 feet behind the aircraft and at a 45-degree angle to the right so as to be clear of the lava hot and faster-than-tornado-speed jet blast with my hose line. In this case, to prevent unnecessary torquing or twisting of the aircraft, both engines were spun up together, keeping the immense pressure balanced and stable across the entire airframe. It began. I stood there like the proverbial marshmallow, close to the fire, being toasted in preparation to become the sticky part of a s'more, but far enough away not to burst into flames and straining to see through the condensation on the visor of my silver flame hood. The engines incrementally increased power, holding at each progressively higher power setting while they were monitored, checked, and double-checked, and then the power increased again. At about 30% power, the heat from the jet blast cleared all the fog from the inside of my gold visor in my flame hood so I could clearly see the yellows, reds, whites, and blues of the exhaust flame shrieking past me to the left. I couldn't hear anything except the thunderous growl of the aircraft. 
As the power continued to intensify, the cacophony of the engine was so powerful and loud that somewhere around 50% power, I could not hear it increase anymore, but I could feel it in the intensifying tremors that were shaking the whole world around me. It was exhilarating and frightening. The energy expanded, and the flames extended further, and the continuous shock waves caused my glasses to incessantly bounce around on my nose. I could feel the earth shake under my feet and flex my knees a bit to maintain my balance. As the thrust of the engines intensified, the penetration of the uninterrupted shock wave went deeper into my body. At first, it was a bit unsettling to feel my innards bouncing around. It felt like a bowl of jello in a magnitude 8 earthquake. Man, what a place to be. Right next to one of the most powerful and feared jet fighters in the world. The F-4 Phantom with two engines producing 17,900 pounds of thrust each and capable of traveling at speeds pushing 1,500 miles per hour. I could have howled with excitement if I could have made a sound, but no one would have heard me anyway, not even me. And the sights, as the sun had just set, seeing the flame of the afterburner kick in and explode out of the tail, taking in the streamlined silhouette of an aircraft subtly illuminated in the dusk. There, there are no words to explain the physical, auditory, and visual sensation, or the rush of adrenaline. I suppose if you've done this before, or been on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier, you might comprehend it. If not, well, you've kind of missed out. It was singularly indescribable. The green engine run lasted about seven to ten minutes, I think, because the passing of time in those moments changed for me. The engines throttled down, the earth stood still again, but I was still a bit wobbly on the inside. The ground crew quickly unbolted the aircraft from the tie-downs, while I removed my flame hood and stowed the hose. The pilot taxied the jet about 75 feet away to the runway and took off. And I got back in the truck and sat and considered what had just happened and watched as the Phantom disappeared into the night. I've been plenty close to some other fighter aircraft as they kick in their afterburners and take off. At McCord, we had a squadron of NORAD's F-15 interceptors and worked around the F-16s as well and many others. And the newer and more sophisticated flying machines are incredibly powerful. But the, the power you feel from them is more, I don't know, refined and efficient. <laughs> Not like the deep, primal, raw and guttural power you feel when you're up close to an old F-4. So here's the ounce. Have you ever walked in on a conversation where two people are laughing and ask, what's so funny? And they smile and say, sorry, you had to be there. Some of the most precious experiences are time and location specific. You can try to explain them, but the person, if they weren't there at that moment, they won't really know. Sometimes these moments are bombastically grand, like the thrill of skydiving, the freedom of flight, the view from the very top. Others are sublimely simple, like the infectious laughter of a little child, the colors at sunset the gentle, lasting euphoria of real love. And sometimes they can even show up unexpectedly when you are trying to do something else. We've got to be paying attention and present in the moment, or we can miss them. Live. Seek out some good moments for yourself. Cherish them. Find a way to create and share them with the people that you care about. 
remember them often. As moments in time, they seldom happen twice. And that's it. An ounce submitted for your consideration. Thank you for listening, subscribing to, and sharing an ounce. I'm Jim Fugate, and I'll catch you next time. everybody. Hey, Tish, what was so uh, funny? Oh, Jim, you had to be there. And you weren't. Uh, dang it. Hey, check out our YouTube videos at youtube.com forward slash at an ounce podcast. That's youtube.com forward slash at symbol an ounce podcast.